Hello and welcome to the Club Development Scotland podcast. In this week's podcast, we're speaking to Stuart Hoare, a PhD student looking at community asset transfers in the sports sector. Community asset transfers are something you might be familiar with, but equally you might just be hearing about them for the first time. So in short, community asset transfers are an opportunity for community groups, um, the vast majority of sports clubs included, to have a greater say in the running and ownership of, of community facilities. Uh, this can be hugely empowering to a, a, to a sports club and, and brings a range of benefits, including community, social and financial benefits. And community asset transfers could become increasingly more relevant to sports organisations. Some recent research suggests that the impact of COVID-19 will mean many community facilities in Scotland will never reopen. According to a recent survey of public operators, um, around 116 public sports, leisure and cultural facilities across Scotland, including 18 leisure centres and eight swimming pools, are facing permanent closure as a result of lockdown. Um, And the research also suggests another further 900 facilities might not reopen for a considerable length of time following lockdown as well. So this presents a huge threat to our facilities in Scotland and um, but it also does create an opportunity for sports organisations and this is where community asset transfers might be relevant. So we speak to Stuart about what the process looks like for uh, community organisations that are interested in the process, what kind of skill sets a club would need to undertake a community asset transfer and what some examples of best practice look like in Scotland. So without further ado, here's Stuart Hoare talking about community asset transfers. So Stuart, thank you very much for joining us on the Club Development Scotland podcast. Um, I wondered if we could start off by just briefly talking about what community asset transfers are, often sort of abbreviated to CATs, and they're things that lots of clubs would probably will have heard of, but I wondered if you could give us a bit of a basic overview of what what they are and what the purpose and intention of of community asset transfers are yeah absolutely thanks for having me on it's great to share some research and thoughts with clubs um, across scotland so cats um, they are a transfer of a facility from a local authority so that could be a parish council um, a county council or you know a like likewise council to a community organisation. So that could be a sports club, but it could also be a social enterprise, a community interest company, or any other charitable body. And the transfer is premised on there being a peppercorn rent. So it could be as low as, you know, one penny a year. And the idea of that is that the organization operating the facility is to provide some form of social value and community return from that transfer so it should benefit the community that they run that facility mm-hmm. you mentioned there um so it could be a sports club it could be a it could be a community interest company who can actually undertake that process what what are some of the kind of key features that any organization that goes through that process would would need to have any uh, registered not-for-profit organization can undertake that and what what's interesting is where organizations that aren't primarily sport or leisure organizations do take on sport and leisure facilities 
often that can be because they've um, associated together out of a desire to stop a facility closing. So it may be in a, in a deprived area or a relatively deprived area where the council has had um, reductions in its budget. Because sport and leisure is discretionary, those services and facilities are often the first to be cut. So when, when that occurs, facilities that are loss making that aren't necessarily attracted, attractive to um, big national providers, big leisure trusts, they risk being closed. So often groups associate to stop them being closed. So it's not necessarily just sports clubs that have an interest in the cat of sport and leisure facilities. Um, with that said, sport clubs are all also interested and um, do have an interest in stopping those facilities closing, especially if they um, are a club that use that facility. So yeah, it, it can happen for a variety of reasons because sports clubs, they may also approach the council to instigate a cat. And that could be because they're sharing a facility and they want to move into another, or they're using a facility where they're paying a lease or paying another club and they feel that they have enough members and enough um, service delivery to run another facility sustainably. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Something else you mentioned there, which I, I want to touch on was on the, the sort of social value of it. So they, they need to be able to demonstrate uh, a kind of wider social value to the community. What does that kind of look like in practice in terms of um, how, how a club would demonstrate that? Yeah, it's a really important area of the um, of the transfer because to to have that peppercorn rent and to have that um, asset at their use requires them to offer something to the local community, but it needs to be needs based. So it can't just be the the service of their club or the sessions that they offer. They need to be involving community people and um, possibly um, minority or um, you know people in the area that are not well represented in that particular sport or in sport more broadly so that could be doing things like um, if they were a swimming club women's only swim sessions or swim sessions for community groups that are not necessarily represented um, in, in swimming as much as other groups. So it varies between localities what that social value looks like, but it really is based on what that local community needs and where there is a lack of um, access for community members. Mm -hmm. And um, am I right in thinking, so you mentioned sort of different community groups coming together often to, to undertake a to undertake a community asset transfer. I'm right in thinking that those types of organizations that have, have joined together uh, in, a, in, a, in a bid or an approach would be more likely to succeed than just a, a single entity that um, perhaps were just more focused on, on their club per se. I don't know if they would be more likely to succeed, but it is worth considering that um, they have associated together for the specific purpose of that facility, whereas a club 
that has you know been running for many years prior um, ha has a number of other objectives to meet so for that club it's a challenge to still meet the needs of its members you know if they're if they're a competitive sport club to be still achieving performance objectives whilst now having this um, facility to to see to because it's it's worth bearing in mind the people that go into those organizations because if people are associating together to stop a facility closing then that's their reason for entering that organization but often sports clubs are ran by people that are coaches of the club parents of athletes at the club and also former athletes of that club so they're not necessarily um, you know, people that are, are prepared and have a history of facility management. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, that makes sense. Thank you. Um, so I guess as well, we should also point out that community asset transfers aren't the, you know, the only um, option when it comes to, you know, community groups getting uh, a level of empowerment. Um, when it comes to facilities. So there's also the opportunity for leases and licenses to occupy. I wondered if you could maybe just give a little bit of background as to how each of these kind of three options differ from one another and why a club or a group might be more inclined to go for one rather than the other. Yeah, yeah, it, it is just one of a variety of um, ways of having a bit more freedom with the facility that that they use, um, my my main research really covers asset transfer. So, in terms of what I know, the difference is that um, with a cat, the main benefit is that you are seen as the owner of the facility. So, if you have a lease of over twenty five years, then that is officially an asset transfer. Um, based on the duration that, that you're running it for. And the, the benefit of that is that it means if other clubs and organisations use that facility, then you'll be able to um, generate revenue from those other clubs. But if you were just a leaseholder, um, the, the, the way you generate revenue would be different. And if you were just like a facility user, then you would be one of, you know, the the other organizations that are paying to use that facility so if a club is considering going into a transfer um, they really need to consider who are the other stakeholders that use that facility how would it work in terms of usage and who would benefit financially and in other ways from the different organizations using that facility so all of these things need to be considered not only by the club but the other stakeholders need to be involved in in that kind of process as well mm -hmm, mm -hmm. okay yeah that makes sense thank you so let's just touch a little bit upon some of your experiences from from your own research and some of your findings so far so you're, you're doing your phd research on, on community asset transfers um, within the sport and leisure industry um, that, that, as you say, that isn't necessarily just sports clubs that are, that are taking the process, but they are involved in it or can be involved in it. Um, so what do we kind of know about asset transfers and sports so far in terms of, you know, could you give us a, a rough estimate of how many have been undertaken or, or any examples that kind of stand out to you? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, 
you know, a few, a few overarching figures would be that it's, um, it's definitely on the increase. Um, so in, in Scotland, the history of asset transfer and asset ownership is, is different to the history in England because of the um, land reform and land ownership policies that, that have um, been implemented in Scotland. And in England, um, there's a localism agenda through the Localism Act and the Big Society agenda. So there are different reasons for why asset transfers have increased over time across some of the home nations. Um, but I guess a general theme is that over time, it's increased um, for, for sport and leisure and more broadly. So it's definitely on the increase. I, I, would, I would say there are just over 300 um, sport and leisure facilities that have been transferred within the last 25 years. So it's not a massive amount, but when you consider all of the stakeholders involved in each transfer, that is quite a lot. So, um, you know, quite a lot is happening. A lot of clubs are choosing this as a way of growth, you know, a way of having more freedom in how they deliver their, their services. But it also indicates that a lot of local authorities are feeling a strain and, are, and are seeing this as a way of reducing the liabilities that they have but also empowering local communities as well. So at the moment, with the impact of the pandemic and with the strain that um, the financial strain that local authorities are facing, it does seem likely that we will have an increase in asset transfers in the near future as well. One, one thing I'm exploring at the moment, and it's, it's a very slow burning um, exploration, is year on year what the difference is so i've got some data from first from the first year which was last year um now obviously that's not kind of useful itself to, to make that year on year comparison but it does seem likely that um these transfers will increase and without that data there is another way of sort of looking at whether they will increase and that's with the number of local authorities that have an asset transfer policy mm. and that that's been increasing over time so um, when that was first researched um, I think in 2014 it was about 20% um, of, of local authorities had an asset transfer policy and that that figure has definitely increased over time and what is interesting with that is that it is you know, a clear indication of what that local authority wants to do. You know, they, they want community organisations to take on facilities. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in terms of some the, the, the types of sport, is there one particular sport where there seems to be more transfers than others? You know, like football versus athletics, for example. On the whole, there isn't. But if you were to break it down into um, four sports clubs, I think there definitely is. So there does seem to be um, a greater number of parish councils 
transferring bowls greens to local bowls clubs. I think that's quite interesting because um, you know it, you, you have to you have to ask what what is it about bowls greens that incentivizes the parish council to transfer it, but also for the club to want to take it on. Um, you know they would they wouldn't go through that process if if they couldn't identify um, how they would be financially sustainable. So it's it's definitely interesting to see. Um, more broadly, though, often a lot of older leisure centres and swimming pools are transferred. Um, so the reason for that is is you know as people's physical activity and leisure behaviour changes over time often these facilities are less profitable for local authorities. It's harder for the local authorities to compete with large scale private providers and large scale leisure trusts. So some of these older facilities that they have become loss making. And at that point, the local authority starts to consider transferring them. And, and the challenge there is that the local authority has to tender that out, out to a variety of stakeholders, but for some of those larger national providers, they're not, they're not necessarily motivated to take it on because it is already loss making. So, you know, there's no incentive for them, but for the local community, they are motivated by that, that community value that can be offered. So yeah, all of these factors need to be considered when, when looking at um, the what's and the why's, you know, how many and, and why transfers are occurring. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think you've sort of touched on what the kind of key benefits to a, to an organisation would be in terms of um, um, in terms of sort of being more empowered with, with the facility itself, the opportunity to generate more income. Um, so I wondered, and I guess we we know what the benefit would be to to the facility owner in the first place, which would be to potentially reduce costs. Um, are there any other kind of key benefits that you found within your research in terms of perhaps um, community cohesion or um, the sort of social benefit aspects that we've mentioned? There, there definitely are benefits. Um, you know, these benefits need to be um, managed in terms of the expectations that that will that that will be had with the benefits, but organizations if if they kind of come together from the local community it seems that they they are more responsive to the local needs than like a large scale provider would be and that's really important because that's how these social um kind of social inclusion and social accessibility agendas are met at local level so you know, large scale providers, whilst they they are aiming to involve local people and, and reach those hard to reach groups, they, they don't necessarily understand the nuances of, of localities. So having local people, possibly local councillors, you know, local business people, local schools and universities, part of the, um, the board of these organisations, really helps to steer the organization towards meeting those local needs and then additionally having a workforce at an operational level that comes from that local area 
creates an environment where when local people come through the doors, they're meeting people that are like them, that understand them, and they understand the local area. And these, these are things that are often overlooked in, in you know, service provision, especially by larger providers. But in terms of sustainability, it really helps running these facilities because if you have that connection with local people, they're more likely to keep coming back. And um, I think that the, the pandemic and the lockdowns that we've had have really exposed the value of that because for a lot of these organisations, what is, is going to get them through is whether local people are willing to support them continually, even though they're not able to access the facilities at the moment. And there have been instances where you know, both the staff have gone above and beyond to make sure things are running or will be running when, when we're out of lockdown. But also the local people have committed to paying their membership, even though they're unable to access the facility. Mm. So, it, you know, you cannot overstate the importance of having that local connection. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And in terms of some of your, your findings and, and um experiences so far what would you consider to be some of the most important considerations that a, a club would would make when considering a, a community asset transfer in terms of you know mm -hmm. um, what the objectives were for the organization for example yeah i think regardless of whether it's a sports club or like a, a campaign group turned community organization one one thing that these groups tend to share is that they they wish that they had had known of another group or another um, set of people that had gone through the process prior to them mm. and um, you know that's really important if local authorities can signpost people on to support in that way um, the the main areas are really financial capital social capital and human capital and these are the kind of academic terms that cover whether people have um, a business plan that's sustainable so enough coming in to sustain them through the transfer and, and the management thereon but also the right people you know sports clubs they are run by people with brilliant and and varied backgrounds um, you know, often people have, you know, really advanced professional careers and they volunteer at a sports club as a coach or in an administrator role. And, um, you know, what what people in that in that club need to really do is think about who do we have in this club that has um, a background that that is going to help us. So, you know, business backgrounds as part of the process that they'll go through and, and we can come on to this in more detail the club will need to put together a comprehensive um, proposal and then a business plan and I think for a lot of clubs this can be a challenge especially if it's a smaller club ran by one or two people that were you know former coaches and athletes at the club it can be a real challenge to get the right stuff in the plan it might be that they they have the right skills and the right background and they have a good connection with the community and they um, 
they, they, they understand how to run the facility. But if they're unable to articulate that and illustrate that clearly, then the council aren't going to, you know, trust them to do that. So that is a really big consideration for any club or any organisation considering taking on a transfer. Yeah, very much so. And I can imagine a lot of this process is, um, you know, not not a paper exercise, but there's a lot of um, feasibility study planning, financial planning, and, and as you say, having the right people with the right skill sets involved. What what are some of those skill sets that a club will need? If there's a club listening to this and they're, they're having to think about the process themselves and they're perhaps doing an audit of the board, what are some of the skills that they, they would need to get involved in the club to make a success of it? Yeah, yeah, it, there's, there's quite a lot really. Um, but hopefully, you know, if, if the club is governed in, in um, a, a, a decent way, that's in line with their national governing body or in line with other members' bodies, then they should um, be able to see to these considerations. So at board level, you know, they, they, they need people with a varied skill set that covers business so that they can see to those um, quite comprehensive um, business processes. So the proposal, the business plan, um, it would be helpful as well if people in, in the club had um, political connections. So people at the local authority, um, you know, the local MP or local councillors, because that is a key relationship that they will be reliant on, not just throughout the process, but throughout running the facility afterwards as well. And I think in some, some of the organisations I've looked at, um, you, you can see a, a big difference in the experience that those organisations have when there is a, a lack of a relationship with the local authority and a strong relationship with the local authority. It really is that important. Um, I think also as well, a business background in, in the context of um, being able to involve local people and you know, create a sustainable um, income stream for the organization beyond the membership. So that's really important as well. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yeah. Quite a wide set of of skills required. Um, so, in terms of the actual process itself, again, if there, you know, if there is a club that kind of listen to this and are quite interested, I wondered if you could give a perhaps an overview of what that process looks like in terms of the the, the legal framework. I guess. Yeah, um, it's it's worth mentioning that you know these transfers occur for a number of reasons, but I guess the two main reasons are either a facility is at risk of closing and the council or the local authority put a uh, like a call for tender out um, or the club will contact the council and say you know what we're paying x amount a year for this why don't we run it and um, you know see what kind of value and service we can provide for the local community so in that first instance, a call for proposals will be made. So the council will ask 
not just local clubs and community organizations, um, but national providers as well to put a proposal in for the transfer of that facility. Um, what's useful for the club in this instance is that they they don't need to submit a, a, like a fully thorough plan. They just need to be outlining who they are, what they do, you know, who who's in what role at the club, how they provide social value, how they are sustainable as a business. And at that point, the council will look at whether, you know, they want to proceed with, with that proposal. If they do proceed, um, the council will ask them to put together a business plan. And it's at that point where they really need to be going into detail about their financial history, their forecasts, their, their structure, who does what, what their background is, how they'll provide social value, if they have evidence of providing that social value, you know, things like community programs, this, this kind of stuff. And, um, you know, from there, it's, it's, it's the level of detail that will um, define their success. And to get that detail right, that's why it's it's helpful to have that connection with the local authority. Um, in in the second instance, where the club are kind of going forward and approaching the council to see if they can acquire a facility through a cap, um, that proposal stage isn't really part of the process. So they they're, they're almost going straight in with a business plan. And where you see this second instance occur most is um, with a parish council. So rather than a local authority um, at county or like a city level, it's, it's on a more rural and, and smaller scale with a, with a parish council that may have like a bowls green or a smaller leisure facility. Mm -hmm. Okay. And is there in one of those two instances, I imagine, I imagine the, the kind of crisis scenario with a facility um, looking like it's, it's perhaps about to disappear they the situations which tend to have a higher success rate no not necessarily um yeah it's 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 hard to say whether any situation you know is instrumental in in the success because the only difference really is that for those organizations formed of people locally that associate together to save that facility the, the, the only difference between them and a sports club is that they've associated together for a different reason. You know, they've, they've associated together to save that facility. And that, that's a key difference, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they are more skilled and better equipped as people and as an organization to run that facility. Um, you know, people in sports clubs often have really useful and, and you know advanced professional backgrounds um, they may be semi-retired and retired professionals so you know just because they didn't go into that club for the purpose of managing a facility doesn't mean that they won't have a background um, that is is um, really going to help them take on the facility but it's with that consideration that you start to see where this process of, of asset transfer 
um, can be quite, um, you know, unequal across society because those professional backgrounds that people have in clubs are, are, are disproportionate across society, you know, in, in, in more dis disadvantaged areas. The people that volunteer in organisations and sports clubs may not have the same professional skills in more affluent areas where people are retired and they've got a professional background that's that's more relevant so in that sense it, it can lead to disproportionate levels of success mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely no that makes complete sense um so just finally i wondered if there are any examples of community asset transfers that you would point to as being um, good practice or, or really interesting case studies and uh, whether or not some of these examples would lead to sort of any recommendations that you would give to clubs thinking about the process yeah um, it's, it's worth add, adding a caveat that my current study is focused uh, in england um, but you know even despite that I've still been working with organizations in Scotland even prior to this PhD study. And that's that's where I am aware of a like a really good case study and example um, of the Crags in Edinburgh, which is a basketball center. And they've done a brilliant job of, of really hitting the nail on the head in terms of their their social value, you know, the the value that they offer for the local community um, but beyond the local community as well so they've used their facility for a lot of community events for um, like a, a sport hackathon which is i think is quite cool and innovative um, but also they've they've really hit some of the key social inclusion and accessibility um, issues so um, one one key theme at the moment is mental health, and they're doing a lot of great work around mindfulness and mental health. And I, and I think doing doing those um, programs in the right way, you know, it needs to be an authentic and um, genuine attempt to you know meet the needs of local people. Um, but doing it in the right way, where it's clear, people understand what your purpose is. Um, is is how you really tick that box whilst being sustainable as a, as a, as a facility owning organization mm -hmm. yes okay yeah um well that's that's certainly a good case study for maybe some of the people listening to this podcast to go and and check out uh, agree a sort of a, a well-known club in scotland that are seen as being very progressive and, and innovative so um yeah absolutely well, Stuart, I know that was only a bit of a whistle-stop tour of just some of the stuff that you've been researching over the, the past wee while, and um, we'll continue to sort of keep abreast of what you're you're coming up with and, and sort of producing going forward. But thank you very much for your time and uh, sharing your views on community asset transfers. The research sounds fascinating, so we look forward to seeing what comes of it. No problem at all. Yeah, thanks for having me on. If if people want to, um, you know, see more about the research, they can. Um, look at my Twitter. It's um, Haw underscore Stuart, so H A W underscore S T U A R T. And yeah, like most, you know, PhD students, I'm sort of deep in the research at the moment, but sharing what I can through there. Absolutely, and uh, well, we'll include a link to your your Twitter in the program notes, so people can uh, go and give you a follow and get in touch if if need be. 
Cool. Brilliant. Yeah. Thanks for the chat. It's been been interesting. Absolutely. Thank you very much. So there we go. That was Stuart Hall talking about community asset transfers. Uh, Stuart's research on on community asset transfers sounds absolutely fascinating. And um, if you do want to go and check him out on Twitter, I'd, I'd highly recommend you do. Um, even after we stopped recording, we were just talking about the kind of scarcity of, of research that's really around on community asset transfers. And I know that you know, a club in Scotland that were thinking about this process would really want to try and gain as much information as they can about other clubs that have undertaken the process, what best practice looks like, what the kind of conditions for success look like. So invaluable stuff. And I'd highly recommend um, reaching out to Stuart if you were interested in, in looking at it further. Um, so that's all for this week. We hope you enjoyed the episode. We'll be back again next week with another episode. So until then, cheers. If you're a fan of the podcast and the other work SD Scotland does, how about signing up as a member on our Patreon page? A few pounds every month will help us to continue offering advice and helping supporters, clubs and communities across Scotland.